Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Hey, happy, ch- happy Sunday, church family. This is a, uh, it's a celebration. I believe if I counted the weeks right, we're like on our 41st celebration for 2022. Uh, I'm on celebration number six, I think, with you all. So six times of getting to celebrate what God has been doing so far at New Covenant Church. And what a blast uh, it has been. So exciting times going on. Uh, we are celebrating this morning what Christ has done for us in making us new. He's given us a brand new wardrobe. He has stripped off the old clothes. He has put on the new. We are going to learn this morning what it looks like to walk in the newness of Christ, to have that new wardrobe put on. Uh, and before I do, I want to see how many of you remember this, but 20 years ago, a show came out for the very first time called Extreme Makeover. I don't know if you all remember it or not. not. Not the house, the person. They would take a person and they would bring that person in and they would start chopping up their hair. They'd start doing the makeup. They would look at them and go, those clothes, they've got to go. They'd put a new wardrobe, wardrobe on them. They would run them through the ringer for like three, four, five months in the gym. And then they would have the big reveal and the family would see them. And sometimes the family didn't even recognize who they were. They're looking at them going, who are you? My goodness. Wow, you look completely different. Well, I wonder, because they don't typically do any follow-up stories. Once the trainers are gone and the makeup artists are gone, is it a little bit like Cinderella? When the clock strikes 12, do they go back to who they were? I don't know. I mean, I don't get to follow a lot of the stories. But what I do know is that when Christ comes in, he makes us a wholly, completely brand new person and then he never leaves us. We don't have to worry about the trainer leaving or the makeup artist leaving or whatever. The person that came in and gave us a whole brand new inner man stays forever. And what a blessing that is because we live in a world where maybe we're a little bit used to being let down. We're a little bit used to people coming in and making promises and then they turn around and they leave us and those promises don't always come to fruition. And what I love about Jesus is that any promise that he makes is golden. It's for sure. If you'll remember earlier in Ephesians, Paul talked about us being seated in the heavenly realms because of what Christ did for us. And the verbiage that he used was kind of interesting because he words it as if we're already there. But then you look at that passage and you go, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not in heaven yet, so why are you wording it, Paul, like I'm already there? Well, the reason that Paul worded it the way he did is in Christ, when he makes a promise, you can bank on the fact that it's going to be kept. So right now, the world is spiraling into chaos. I don't know if you paid attention at all to what's going on in the world. So, I mean, it would be nice to just put on those rosy colored glasses and act like everything's going well. It's not. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to paint a picture for us of the world that we live in, what the people of the world are like that we live around and with, and why that has become utterly and completely destructive. Now, you've got to keep in mind, not just in our world, but in the world that Paul lived in, if you speak truth into the world, just expect that things aren't necessarily going to go well. There's going to be a lot of persecution that's going to come your way. We now live in a world, I'm now raising two teenage girls in a world that has flipped truth 
on its head, that has flipped right and wrong on its head. So all of the things that God has said are destructive for you. They're wrong. They're sinful. The world now calls right. And anybody that stands for that which is right is now looked at as a bigot or as a hater. Uh, And keep in mind that God designed us in a very unique and very special way and with a plan and with a purpose, and all of it was for His glory. And anytime we live in such a way that doesn't bring Him glory, it hurts us. So our job is to go out and share with the world the love of Christ, the plan that He has for them, and why human flourishing actually comes by living underneath God's commands. Now we hear the word God's commands and immediately begin to think, no one's going to tell me how to live my life. Y'all remember this? Like, I'm the master of my own destiny. No, you're not. The question is, who are you listening to? Which slave master have you chained yourself to? Because we are all slaves to something. Whether we care to admit it or not, we're all slaves to something. We're either a slave to sin, or a slave to self, or a slave to Satan, or a slave to the world, or we chain ourselves to the greatest master of all time. And I tell you what, gang, my master takes really good care of me. My master is amazing. My master takes care of my wife. My master takes care of my kids. Even if we had to give up everything to follow Christ, and we lost it all, we lost our home, we lost our money, we lost our health, he still takes care of me. You know why I know that? Because he came and he showed me what it was like to give up everything for somebody that didn't deserve to inherit everything. And the things that I may be asked to give up pale in comparison to what I'm going to get someday when I get to heaven. Listen, we live in a very temporal world, and we're going to hit more on this in just a moment, but we want what our eyes can see right here and right now, and we've got to be careful to not long for the things of this world more than we long for the things of heaven and for Christ, because the things of this world and the things of Christ can't be taken away. Okay, are we ready to dive in? That's just your introduction, so here we go. Now that you got nice and comfy and settled in, you know what I'm about to ask you to do? I don't have to say it anymore. This is great. Because of the fact that Jesus is our king, we just we stand in honor of him when we read his word. So if you'd stick with me, Ephesians chapter 4, we're finishing out the, the last half of Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32. Paul starts off by saying this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Gang, thanks again. You can have a seat. We are going to unpack what Paul just said and really the big overarching sentence, the big overarching theme that Paul gets at is in Christ, we're unrobed and then reclothed by him. Our old self is unrobed and it's reclothed in him. Earlier in Ephesians, we talked about how our salvation was really presented to us in three tenses. There was the past, who we were before we knew Christ, who we are now in Christ, and who we will be in heaven because of what Christ has done. And today we're going to take a look at two tenses of walking with Christ. Who were we? Well, praise the Lord that God unrobed who we were, and then he reclothed us in the person and the work of Christ. Let me ask you if you've got your Bibles and you take a look at a parallel passage with me. It's in Galatians chapter 3. Go with me if you would, if you've got your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 23, Paul writes this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So Paul, he's in the book of Galatians, he's talking about the law, and he says the law could never save you. In fact, the law was never meant to save you. The law was meant to act as a guardian. Well, what does a guardian do? Well, in Paul's day, a guardian's job was actually to walk the kids from home to school and back. When they got home, if mom and dad were working, make sure that they were fed, make sure that they put on clothes, all that good stuff. But the main goal of the guardian really was to get them from place to place, to guard them when they were going from one place to the next. So Paul says the law, the Old Testament law, was a lot like a guardian. It was meant to lead you to Christ, to walk you to him, to show you where you fall woefully short and who he is. And then that law was meant to show you that you could never live up to it. You could never live up to the law. Therefore, you needed to be stripped of your old self because your old self is a mess and you need to put on Christ to be baptized into Christ. Now, again, I want to make sure that we're clear. In Galatians, when Paul talks about being baptized into Christ, this is not water baptism. He nowhere mentions water baptism in not only that passage, but in the book. So why does Paul use the word baptize? Well, remember what the word baptize means. It always means to be placed into, to be immersed into. So when one is placed into or immersed into Christ, they're immediately clothed with the clothing of Christ. Okay, this is all going to make sense in just a moment, because I'm going to explain to you what it means to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ because it's something that we cannot do for ourselves. But again, just note, the big idea for today is that we are unrobed 
and then we are reclothed by the person and the work of Christ. Unrobed is the past. Praise the Lord, he stripped us of all those old clothes. Remember, go back to that show, Extreme Makeover. Remember what's one of the first things that they do? They look at them and go, this is not working. This, what you're wearing, that hairdo, the makeup or lack of is not working, so we're going to get you all fixed up. But one of the first things we're going to do to make that happen is we're going to strip off the old clothes. And then we're going to put you in a brand new wardrobe. Again, that's just the external Christ is much more concerned with the internal. What is happening with the inner man, with the soul that was infused in you at the moment of conception inside your mama's womb? What's going to happen with that soul? Where is it going to go and be forever? Well, here's what Paul does in verses 17 through 22. He makes us again clear of something. Your old clothes are gone. So stop living as though you still have them on. Those old clothes have been stripped away and that old walk, that old gait that you used to walk with, is gone. We see it in verses 17 through 22. And again, I'm going to ask you, stick with me. We read the whole passage in context, but now I want to stop and I want to break this down just a little bit. So our first point, if you're a note taker, is that your old clothes are getting stripped off and your old walk is done away with. Praise the Lord that that is the case. I couldn't get rid of the old clothes on my own. In fact, there's a very good chance that the same man that wrote Ephesians and, and also wrote Romans is referring back to something else that we had mentioned a few weeks ago. Do you all remember when Paul said, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And do you remember what he was thinking of or what he was looking at? There was this old Roman practice where if you committed something like treason or you rebelled against the Roman government, they would take the corpse of a dead body and they would strap it, chain it to your back, and there was no way to break free from it. They would lock you to it to a point where you couldn't break free. And over the course of weeks, maybe even months, as these nasty diseases and things that began to fester in the dead body would slowly creep into the living person, it would begin to kill them in all kinds of wretched ways. And Paul used that as an analogy to say that this is what I was like before Christ. I was strapped to a body of death that was killing me. Who will rescue me from it? Here Paul says the old clothes are stripped off, but he may very well be pointing back to something that he had taught them earlier. It's not just old clothes. It's that body of death. It's not just like, yeah, you got some dirt on your clothes and it's making you a little stinky. It's no, the clothes that you were wearing were actually killing you. And so Paul says, praise the Lord that Jesus came and he stripped those off. Well, he starts with the negative, so the positive is even more beautiful. If you read the way Paul writes in a lot of his books, especially Romans, um, our church in Washington, I took them about a year through the book of Romans. And the first three chapters are brutal. I mean, if you want to know what a mess we are in our sin, read Romans 1, 2, and 3. And if you just stop there, man, that's a depressing book. However, you get to Romans chapter 4, and the beauty of Romans chapters 4 and 5, where it talks about our salvation, is all the more beautiful because we re recognize how wretched we were in our sin. And so Paul does the same thing in this passage. 
Walk with me, if you would, beginning at verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. When he speaks of walking, he's talking about a lifestyle. Don't live this type of lifestyle. And then he begins to lay it out in the futility of their minds. So if we're living in the old clothes as a pagan Gentile, one of the first things that he mentions is that we have futile thinking. What does futile thinking even mean? Well, in the Greek, the word futile actually means empty or without purpose. In other words, we got a lot of people running around that think about things all day long that have zero eternal value whatsoever. And as believers, we can get wrapped up in the same thing. We can get so wrapped up in the here and now that we forget to think about the things that are actually eternal. So here's what I'm going to do. You can kind of see it on your screen. There's four things that we're going to take a look at together that we don't want to be living in. We don't want to be in futile thinking, but I also want to give us some assessment questions. And that will help us recognize whether or not we are living in futile thinking and in darkened understanding and being alienated and calloused in our conscience. We'll walk through each of those. But what are your daily thoughts focused on? If you were to stop for just a moment and ponder, what did I think about the most this past week? Were they the things of eternity, things that actually matter, or were they futile? Listen, I understand that we got to think about money sometimes, we got to think about clothes, sometimes we got to think about food, sometimes we got to think about our cars. Those are all just parts of daily life. I get that. But how much time did you spend thinking about those things that actually matter most? How much time did we together as a church body spend praying for the for the city of Albuquerque? Approximately 563,000 people in the city of Albuquerque. If you'll remember, according to statistics, according to Lifeway Research, according to Barna Research, about 9% of the American population is now filled with people that claim to be born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 9%. So if we just rounded up and said 10, that means that there are about 56,000 believers in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, I'm not a math major, but if I took... 563,000, and I subtracted 56,000. We've got over a half million people in the city of Albuquerque that have yet to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Does the Word of God need to get into Albuquerque? You better believe it. And, and here's the question. Who's going to bring it? Because from everything that I see in Scripture, the church is plan A and there is no plan B. There's not another plan for getting the Word out. It's you and me. That does not have to be daunting. That doesn't have to be scary. Remember who our master is. We serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that was present at creation, the one that entered into his creation, the one that is still intricately and intimately involved in his creation. He walks with us. What did he say before he left? And lo, I will be with you once in a while. Unless a pandemic creeps in, I'm out. When divorce rates skyrocket, see you later. When violent crime is on the increase, you're on your own. No, what did Jesus say? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Gang, you're here this morning, you're living, you're breathing, you're not in heaven right now, we haven't been raptured out of here, and we're not dead. So you know what that means? Jesus is walking with us in all of the mess. We got nothing to fear. 
What's the worst that man could do to you? Kill you. That's the worst that man could do to you. They could kill you. Bummer. I got to go be in heaven with Jesus where there's no more sickness, sorrow, mourning, pain, or death. Isn't that a sad trade-off? No. I, I can tell you this right now. Of all the funerals that I've done, and I don't know, maybe a hundred, something like that, for the funerals that I've done for those folks that know Jesus, I will tell you right now that none of them are wishing that they could be back here. We want to be with them, but they do not want to be with us. Just trust me on that one. If everything that I've read in Scripture is true, which it has proven itself to be, they don't want to be here with us. So what I'm getting at is that I want my mind to be focused on what it is that's coming. What is it that we're going to be inheriting? And that will keep me from getting too bogged down by the things that are happening right here, right now. Because again, I don't think I have to ask, but have you noticed how much of a mess this world is in? And it's not getting better. Go figure. Scripture told us that's exactly the way it would be. Things are not going to get any better. Well, why are things such a mess? Well, go to verse 18. It says they are darkened in their understanding. Stop there. What does it mean to be darkened in understanding? Well, darkness carries with it the idea of blindness to truth. We usually equate light and dark with good and evil, but actually more times in Scripture when the words light and darkness are used, it has more to do with lies and truth. That light brings to light the things that are true. And so the darkness will flee from it because they're living a lie. So let me ask you, as a person that loves Jesus, do you find yourself diligently studying the Word of God? Diligently having light shed on what's going on in your life? Do you find being in God's Word an absolute blast? I hope that you do. I said it last Sunday, I might say it every Sunday from this point forward, but I'm excited about Monday mornings because it entails the start of a brand new week to dive into God's Word and learn a little bit more about our Creator. It gives us another opportunity to get to know Jesus better and then go make Him known in the community. So I want to challenge you starting now before Monday morning rolls around, instead of waking up tomorrow going, oh, it's 6 a.m. on Monday morning and I've got to get out of bed and go to work. Let me encourage you, let's praise the Lord right now that if we get to wake up tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever it is that you get up, let's wake up at that time in the dark praising the Lord because He's good and He's giving us an opportunity to get to know Him better and go make Him known wherever we go. Well, we, He moves on from there. He says they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance carries with it a twofold meaning. There are some that don't know about the life of God because they don't want to. They choose not to. They choose to rebel against everything that God's Word says because they think they've got a better plan for their lives. And then there are those that just don't know about the Lord. There are plenty of those on our planet. And so I am thankful for those that are going into those places where they have not yet heard the gospel but yet they can see in creation that there's got to be something beyond themselves. And due to the fact that people are futile in their thinking, due to the fact that they're darkened in their understanding, they become alienated from God, and it says that they become callous in their conscience. Notice it says they have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
And the words that Paul uses there mainly refer to um, gross sexual immorality. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a society that is grossly sexually immoral. And I've heard a lot of people ask, why do you Christians seem to have to hit on sexuality so much? Why is that such a big thing? And I'm going to tell you the exact reason why. Because that is the method by which God chose to continue to create those that are created in his image. And if the enemy can mar the image of God, he will do whatever it takes to get there. And so that's why we see this major push with things like love is love and just allow those that are homosexual to live their lives and do what they want to do. Those that want to become transgender, let them do what they want to do to each their own. First of all, that's totally unloving because of, the, of what that lifestyle brings about to a person. It is destructive. Sin always destroys. It always hurts. It always wrecks. So just smiling and saying, let somebody be who they are so they can be who they want to be is not loving at all in any way, shape, or form. Remember, God designed us in a very specific and unique way. He created Adam and Eve as complementary to one another on purpose for a reason. And we now live in a society that is so callous in its conscience that they don't care really what is right or wrong. In fact, they are trying to recreate in their own minds what is right and wrong. And that is something that is being pushed. We also now live in a society that will do whatever it takes to find pleasure they will do whatever it takes to find happiness, and it doesn't matter who it hurts. That word callous that's used there in the Greek is another interesting word that Paul uses. It carries with it an idea of a bone that has been broken over and over again, and every time it breaks, it calcifies over. And eventually, it gets to a point where you don't even feel pain anymore. Paul says that's what some of our consciences have become like. We have gotten so callous that we don't even feel the weight of sin anymore. And therefore, we don't see a problem with just about anything, regardless of who it hurts and how it hurts them. So here's what Paul just said, and I'm about to transition to the positive side. Remember, we've got to look at the negativity of sin. We've got to look at the destruction of sin before we see the beauty of what Christ has brought us into. But he says, prior to knowing Christ, we were futile in our thinking, we were darkened in our understanding, we were alienated from the life of God, and we were calloused. But now I want to show you what it looks like to live in Christ. It's at this point in our passage where he takes us to what is almost like the school of Jesus. And he says, it's in the school of Jesus that you learn how to formulate your worldview. One of the things that we have always tried to teach our girls, mine are now 18 and 15, we have always tried to teach them three things when it comes to uh, a biblical worldview. Number one, what do we believe? Do you even know what it is that we believe? Number two, why do we believe it? I'm all for answering the why questions of our kids. We get annoyed by those. If you've ever had a two or three year old, everything is why, why, why? Why? Because I said so. That's usually the answer. Let me encourage you, when your kids ask why, be prepared to give them an answer. What great training ground that is for us as well. So what do we believe, why do we believe it, and how do we live it? I'm training our, our leaders to something very similar. I remember things through acrostics, but tab training, theology, apologetics, 
and behavior. Theology, what do I believe? Apologetics, why do I believe it? Behavior, how do I live it? It's from there that we can answer some of, big, of life's biggest questions. And you all remember life's ultimate questions, hopefully. The first question that everybody seems to be asking, and sometimes without even knowing it, is, where did I come from? Am I nothing more than a cosmic act accident? From the goo to the zoo to you is what our kids are now taught in schools. That you're nothing more than a pile of goo that somehow made it to the zoo and now you're you. And the scriptures teach us something radically different. That God created Adam and Eve as fully functioning male and female human beings in his image, in his likeness, to go out and bring him honor and glory, which answers the second big question. Why am I here? If you're nothing more than an accident, you're not here for anything. You are here to consume and die. That's it. If we're being really frankly honest with each other, if we're nothing more than a cosmic accident, you're here to consume and die, right? Being fair enough, however, if you've got a God that is outside of time, space, and matter, the first causer of all things that actually makes the most sense, the fact that Genesis chapters 1 and 2 actually find their answers in science, that the truth is actually on our side, that the law of cause and effect, remember that states that for every effect there's an equal or greater causer. We suddenly have to jump through a million loopholes in, in order to say that everything that exists in the universe came about from absolute nothingness. And yet, scientifically, that doesn't jive with law, not theory, not hypothesis, but actual scientific law. This is what led me to Christ in my early 20s, were the answers to some of these big questions. So we know where we came from, we know why we're here, but what's gone wrong with this world? Because things are not the way they're supposed to be. You know what's gone wrong with the world? I look at it in the mirror every single day. It's me. It's that sin nature that used to be within me that the Lord Jesus has come and clothed in righteousness instead. Which, by the way, there's the answer to the fourth question. How can all of this mess be fixed? Well, I will tell you how it can't be fixed. Education won't do it. Politics won't do it. Social justice won't do it. Giving people more money won't do it. Jesus is the only one that can fix it. When he comes in and he takes up residence in somebody's life, that can be fixed. And then that answers the fifth big question. Well, where am I going when all is said and done? Because, gang, I, I don't, again, mean to be depressing, but life is short. You don't have to admit this if you don't want to, but how many of you are past middle age? But how many can remember their teenage years and it feels like it wasn't that long ago? How many of you that are past middle age still feel like your mind is telling you you should be able to jump up and dunk a basketball in the hoop out there, but your body says, eh, eh, not happening? Okay, I don't even know why I asked that question. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> Where am I going? That all depends on what you did with question number four. How can it be fixed? It's Jesus. What have you done with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Because what you do with him determines where we spend eternity. Did you know that there are no good people in heaven? Oh, that's going to blow some of us away. There are no good people in heaven. What do you mean? I thought heaven was only filled with good people. There's only perfect people in heaven. No good people. 
Because if there's good people in heaven, we got the same dilemma we have on earth. We still got a mess, we still got sin, and we still got some, some, some people that aren't doing so good. So if you think about that, we're all hopelessly doomed. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I'm not perfect. I know I just burst your bubble. I don't know if you know this, but you're not perfect. Just burst your bubble even more. That means that you and I on our own have zero hope of getting to heaven. If we just packed it up right now, that is utterly depressing. However, we have the golden ticket. Like in Willy Wonka, we have the golden ticket. We're in. You know what the golden ticket is? We celebrate it at communion. It's the blood of Jesus that has not only covered all of our sin, but taken every single one of them away as far as east is from the west. Jesus took away every single one of our sins. Does that mean that you are going to live perfectly? Absolutely not. And there's where that weird tension comes in. We are seen as perfect in the eyes of the Father. That's our salvation. But in the sanctification process, I'm still becoming more and more like Christ, which is where our second point comes in. We get clothed in a new wardrobe. You and I, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 32, get clothed in a brand new wardrobe. The old self is gone, and the new self gets put on. There is a parallel passage to Ephesians. It's another one of Paul's prison letters. It's Colossians chapter 3. I would encourage you at some point in this week, take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. I'm going to briefly go through it. I'm not going to unpack it a whole lot, but I want you to hear this. Beginning in verse 5, Paul says, put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." One of the things I love about Sunday mornings, and again, six Sundays, I believe, of getting to celebrate with you all, in the course of the past six weeks, getting to spend time with some of you, I feel like I've been with Jesus. Just getting to see the joy that are on some of your faces, and if I could just go around the room, how fun that would be to point out some of you that after I have just spent two minutes I feel like, wow, the joy of Jesus has just come out of that person. Wow, the sharp mind that that guy has. Wow, the love for people that this lady has at New Covenant Church is fantastic. Are we always going to do that? Oh, man, I have days where I am just annoying. I have days where I can just be a grump. Just come and talk to me pre-coffee. It's just... Yeah, just, we won't go there. I am so thankful that 
so many of you sitting in this room have had the old self stripped off and that new self is just shining through. You see the new wardrobe. You see Christ in some of the folks that are here. But I also want to be aware of the fact that if you ever see anything good in me or I see anything good in you, we have to remember where that came from. By nature, I am... What's a word I can use in church? I'm a brat. We can use that one. There are a lot of things that I am apart from Christ. But it's because of what Jesus has done. And when it's Him that's living through me, some amazing things end up shining forth. And it's all because of Christ. Let me share with you again another one of Paul's prison letters. We're hanging out a lot in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians this morning. But in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now listen to what he says. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Anything good that Paul says you might see in him, where does it come from? It comes from Jesus. None of it comes from me. So let's take a look at what does it look like? What's the practical outworking of living in the new clothes as a Christ follower? He says in verse 25, and again, there's five of them. We're going to go through these fairly quick, so stick with me, but there's five things that we should see in someone that's living in the new clothes of Christ. Verse 25 tells us we're going to go from a a change from falsehood to truth. I'm going to go from speaking falsehood to speaking truth. There's a reason for that. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. So when I speak truth, I'm allowing Christ to live through me. Scripture says God's word is truth. Jesus said it in John 17, 17. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Jesus himself is said to be the way, the truth, and the life. So that means that if I speak the truth about myself, I have to stop exaggerating who I am. I have to stop stretching the truth or even just flat out lying about who I am and be honest. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be self-depreciating and constantly speaking, oh, what was me? There are some great things that the Lord has done in my life, and I'm thankful for that. There's some gifts that the Lord has given me, and I'm thankful for that. But I don't want to over-exaggerate those as well. I don't want to over-exaggerate who I am. I also want to make people very aware of the fact that I have some serious struggles constantly. And I want to be honest about that. I want the good, the bad, and the ugly to be made known. The bad of who I was before Christ and who I would be if it wasn't for Christ, and the good of who I am in Christ because of what Christ has done. Have you ever noticed that the Scriptures are brutally honest about people? They don't sugarcoat it at all. Abraham, he was a drunk. Noah, he got drunk. David, he was an adulterer and a murderer. Mark, the author of one of the Gospels, was known for fleeing naked at the time that Jesus was arrested. Peter, 
denies Jesus three times when Jesus was in his greatest need and during his time of greatest trial. The Apostle Paul used to be Saul. He was either directly or indirectly responsible for the death of thousands of people that were following Jesus before Jesus blinds them and then has them write about a third of the New Testament. And that's just to name a few. The scriptures are brutally honest. Gang, be brutally honest about where you struggle because then the beauty of what Christ has done in your life will shine all the more. Well, the second thing that we see comes from verses 26 and 27, and there's a change from unrighteous anger to righteous anger. Did you know that it's not wrong to be angry? We should be angry when sin rises up. We should be angry when defenseless people can't defend themselves and nobody comes to their defense. Those types of things should make us angry. We should be angry at what sin is doing to the world. But what does Paul say? In your anger, or go ahead and be angry, just don't sin when you do. He's really quoting from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, which tells us that it's okay to be angry. But just don't let your anger be mixed with sin. Did you know that God gets angry? Did you know that Psalm chapter 7, verse 11, tells us that God is angry every day? at the sin that is being manifest in his creation. He hates it. In fact, one day he's going to deal with it. But we have to make sure that our anger is righteous. It's for the right reasons. When God is not glorified, when people are exploited, we should be angry. Unrighteous anger, on the other hand, has to deal with vindictiveness and revenge. Don't be angry in looking for revenge or being vindictive. But be angry at sin that is hurting people. We should be angry at what the enemy is doing to our society and to people that we love. That should, that should bother us. Well, Paul moves on from there in verse 28, and he says, you should go from stealing to working and sharing. Apparently, there were people, even in Ephesus, even after coming to know Christ, that were still being thieves. And Paul said, stop it. Stop being a living, walking, talking oxymoron and go work with your hands and have something to share with others. In verses 29 through 31, he says, change your speech from speech that tears down to speech that builds others up. Have you noticed how quick we are to tear each other down? I was about 11 years as a youth pastor before I started working with big kids. And in about 11 years, from 1997 to about 2008, in working with teens, I notice that they are professionals at cutting people down. And oftentimes they'll say, well, I was only joking. But realize that even when we make demeaning comments and say we were only joking, although the other person might kind of laugh because they look like the village idiot, we have no idea what they took home with them and how that affected them and how, how that hurt them. One of the dumbest songs I've ever heard is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You can beat me with a stick, and I'll heal in a few days. But man, you could beat me down with words, and I might be hurting a month or a year later, or more. Words are powerful things. Remember, God spoke the universe into existence. Remember that Jesus was, was the living embodiment of the Word of God. So do words have power? Absolutely. I want to be more aware of how I speak. I am oftentimes quick to speak things that are not edifying and don't build people up. Controlling the tongue 
is a tough thing. Does anybody else sitting in the room besides me have what we call foot and mouth syndrome? You ever been there before? You say it and you're just like, oh, can't reel that one back in. So stopping and asking the Holy Spirit to take control of what we say can be tough. And in verses 31 to 32, there's, there's the change from bitterness to forgiveness. Going from bitterness to forgiveness. He lists six things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And I discovered that as I studied those six words, they're actually harder to do away with than I ever thought. In fact, it's impossible to do away with them unless Christ is the one doing it through me. What's bitterness? It's resentment due to holding a grudge. I'm going to give you the actual definitions according to what I've studied in Koine and Classical Greek. Wrath means passionate rage with an intent to destroy. We live in a wrathful society, people that would love to just destroy each other. Anger actually means to have hostility or to be at war with someone. Clamor means out-of-control emotions. Again, it's okay to be angry, but to be kicking chairs over and punching holes in walls, that's what the Bible defines as clamor. Slander is the purposeful defam defamation of one's character. And malice is just an overall Greek term for evil intended towards another individual. Those are the things that Paul says, really that the Lord says through Paul, we got to get rid of them. Be done with them. So Paul says that instead of responding to others with the sins that were just spoken of, live in that new clothing. Live what you've been clothed in in Christ. And as I shared, I think we have an amazing church body. I think that we have men and women, even little kids, running around this building that are so in love with Jesus that it doesn't matter what you do to them, they're going to continue to bless. They're going to continue to have joy. You want a piece of good news this morning? Your joy doesn't have to be dependent upon circumstances. You know why? It's dependent upon a person that will never fail you and will never let you down. Amen? That is some good news for us this morning. That is cause for celebration this morning. So we're going to celebrate, and we're going to keep on celebrating. I'm going to pray for us. As I'm praying, I'm going to invite the band back up. The band is going to lead us in a time of celebration, and then we are going out to Fall Fiesta, and we are going to celebrate some more what God has been doing in our communities. Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, we come before you, and we celebrate who you are. We celebrate what you have done in our lives. Lord, we celebrate the fact that while we were not just a mess in our sin, but while we were dead in our sin, you made us alive because of who you are. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are the living embodiment of the word. You are the fulfillment of all of the law. You are the fulfillment of all of the prophecies that were prophesied by all of those that came hundreds of years before you stepped on the scene. And yet you fulfilled all those prophecies and all of those laws perfectly. And Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that in going to the cross and in fulfilling the law that we could never fulfill, that you paid the penalty for all of our sin, and that, Lord, you proved it by rising again from the dead. You are the only person on all of the planet that has an empty tomb because you rose again from the grave. Lord, we don't have to wait till Christmas to celebrate that you came into our world. We don't have to wait till Easter to celebrate the fact that you rose from the dead, but, Lord, we live and celebrate every single day, knowing that you entered into creation, died for it, and rose again. And Lord Jesus, 
It's in your mighty name that we all pray together this morning. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.